caught how awesome it was. We have this story of, of the, the people of Israel who come out of Egypt. They get rescued by God from slavery in the land of Egypt. And God leads them out with a whole bunch of miracles. You remember the miracles? Who can give me one of the miracles that, that happened in Egypt? The plagues. Come on, people. Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, and God sends Moses, and Moses does a whole bunch of plagues to the Egyptian people to let to make Pharaoh let the people go. Who knows the story? Yes? Which plagues? Yeah. Yeah. Is Mr. Alexander here? I'm sure this was on some test at some point, right? Yes. Freshman. He gave them a bunch of frogs. A bunch of frogs. Yes. Okay. So there were a lot of plagues. And the last one was? The death. The death of the first one. Yes. So the people have all of these miracles and signs, right? God proves that he's there present and that he, he is working in their midst. He leads them out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea, right? God is leading them with this flame during the day so they can see this thing, this flaming thing during the day. And at night, there's, no, there's a cloud during the day. The flame is at night. So the, there's a cloud during the day leading them and a flame at night. They get to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are chasing them. God makes the Red Sea open up into two, right? You know that part of the story. You've all probably all seen the movie, The King of Egypt, right? There's like fish swimming beside them, you know, in the, in the sea. And they walk through... And then the sea, the sea closes in on top of the Egyptians, and they all die, right? Today's first reading is shortly after all of that has happened, okay? The people of Israel get out into the desert, and within a few days, they have completely forgotten all the great things that God has done. And what do they do? They say, we're going to make ourselves our own God out of gold. A golden calf. Okay, so they collect all of their gold stuff that they stole from the Egyptians before they left, and well, which the Egyptians gave them before they left. And, and they, they melt it all down and, and make this, they mold this calf for themselves to worship. Okay, so I want to uh, take a lesson from this fact and, and from this first reading for all of us, which I think God is, is saying to all of us today. What does it mean for us this whole image of the people losing faith in God and making a golden calf. The people of Israel are looking for a God that they can see and touch and experience, right? They want to, they want to have someone they can look at, right? Moses is up on the mountain praying to God for a long time, and they get impatient while, while they're waiting for him to come down. And they say, no, we want to see our God. We want to, we want to sacrifice to a God and... And, and have, have a God that we can touch. And I think that we can relate to this in a certain sense because sometimes in our lives, it seems that God is absent. Sometimes in our lives, we get this little temptation to say, wait a second, how come I, how come I can't see God? Yeah, sometimes we're asking God for things. We're asking God to reveal himself, to show himself in our lives. And we say, well, wait, how, if, if God, I'm asking God for favors or praying to him, how come he doesn't make himself known? How come, how come he doesn't reveal himself to me in my life with my problems? Why, why does God seem to be ignoring me? Why does he seem to be absent in my life? In reality, what, what happened to the Israelites is, is kind of what happens to us because they've had so many proofs of God's presence in their lives. And they just seem to forget about them, right? 
They just had all of these proofs of God, God leading them out of Egypt, you know, all those miracles. And, and, and within a few days, they forget about it because they, they want to see God and they want to touch him. They want him to be there every day. So God sometimes allows us to go through moments like that, moments of darkness, moments where we don't see him actively present in our lives and where our following him or being faithful to him requires a little bit of faith and a little bit of trust in him, right? So what do we do when that happens? Sometimes we fall into uh, creating these false gods for ourselves, these golden calves, right? And what are the golden calves in our lives? What are the, the false gods that we create for ourselves? I think that we can kind of find the answer in anything that we use to fill that void when it seems like God is a little bit absent from our lives, okay? So it can be all kinds of things, but I think that most of us can probably relate to things like uh, distractions, you know, using our phone too much. Any, anytime, that we, anytime that you find yourself uh, turning to something to kind of get away from uh, your reality or the difficulties of your reality, right? I mean, the typical example would obviously be like substance abuse, right? Any, some, an alcoholic turns to alcohol to escape from his reality, right? So that he doesn't have to embrace the hardships of his, of his life, of his reality. And I know, that, I know that you guys can relate to this because we all have things that we, we struggle with. I mean, don't relate to being alcoholics, right? But you relate to the fact of having a lot of stress in your life, of having people in your lives who have hurt you, um, bitterness, grudges, things that we, that we hold on to that we can't let go of, um, you know, so all, the, all these kinds of sufferings that, that accompany our daily lives, right? When we begin to turn to some material, worldly thing to fill that void, to cope with our, our difficulties, is when we're creating a false god. So I think that there's, there, Christianity, our, our faith, has kind of a different proposal for how to cope with and how to deal with our, our sufferings. Um, Christ on the cross was offered a drug. He was, he was hanging on the cross and, and, and suffering. And they had this, this uh, gall, wine mixed with gall, that they used to offer to people, which is kind of like, it's kind of a drug that will... will Kind of you know take away a bit of the pain right kind of like pain relief and he rejected it christ on the cross rejected uh taking this drug this this thing that would help him to escape from his pain why is that why would christ not want to relieve his pain a little bit the reason christ was on the cross was to to offer his life as a sacrifice he was embracing the sacrifice for the salvation of the world right he was embracing that sacrifice and so the, the christian attitude is one that invites us to embrace, like Christ did, our pain and our suffering. Um, embracing our reality, embracing the situation that I'm in, the tough situation that I'm in. You know, think of that thing that, that you suffer from, you know, that, that maybe it's too much stress, maybe it's too much pressure from your parents, some hurt that someone's caused you, your, your girlfriend broke up with you, I don't know, right? Whatever it is, whatever it is that... that causes that, that anger, that bitterness inside that you might be tempted to escape from, right? The Christian attitude is one that invites us to embrace our sacrifices, right? Embrace our sufferings. So it's not that, it's not that we embrace sacrifice because we hate the flesh 
or we hate worldly things, right? The Christian attitude is not one that, that says that everything that's material is evil. So, so down with material things. Um, no pleasure, right? That could be my, my new meme, right? No shorts, no pleasure, right? Um, that's not the Christian attitude. The Christian, the Christian attitude is, is one that, uh, that recognizes the good, the good in material things, right? All these things are created by God, but renounces them for a higher reason, right? Like Christ. Christ recognized his life was good. It wasn't that he hated his life or his body. He offered it up for the salvation of souls. Right? So one who has no, no sense of, of sacrifice or self-denial, a person who completely avoids it, right, um, is, is missing something, right? He's missing something in his life. Um, let's put it this way. Where does, where does pain come from? Where, where does pain and suffering and death, where does all of that come from? When, which is the moment in human history in which God's perfect plan for humanity uh, went wrong? Anybody? Yes, exactly, exactly. The moment sin enters the world is the moment that all of those other things enter the world, right? So, so they're connected to each other, right? Pain and sin are connected to each other. And one who recognizes the reality of his situation, which is being a sinner, being in a state of, of sin and separation from God, is much more able to recognize the, and accept the reality of pain and suffering in his life. Right? There are many examples of, of holy people um, who were once great sinners. And after their conversion, they realized, in order to make up for my sins, I would have to do a whole life of penance. And there are many saints who, who had, a, had a great conversion from a life of sin and entered monasteries or communities where they could do that, specifically and on purpose, so that, they could, so that they could make sacrifices to make up for the sins that they've committed, right? And a Christian who realizes, what is, what is it that I deserve for my sins? You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm a sinner and by my sins I've completely rejected God, what do I deserve for that? The Christian realizes that what we really deserve for that is, is condemnation. Right? What we really merit because of our sins would be hell. Now we, we don't lose it, lose hope and despair because of that, because we know that Christ has saved us and God has God has given us freedom from that. Right? But the fact that that that's what I would deserve makes me have more an attitude of well, when I suffer things, it's on, on this earth it's much less than what I would deserve for my sins. Any suffering that I could endure here on earth is so much less than what I really deserve for my sins. So I believe there's a few different, a few different reasons for why a Christian could, could embrace suffering. And I'm going to end with this. There's, there's three and a half, four, four reasons. One is, one is what, what I already mentioned, that uh, embracing a spirit of sacrifice is a way of embracing reality. Okay? Compare that to the person who is using substances to escape from reality. He wants to get away from his suffering, so he, so he deadens himself with some kind of substance abuse, right? It's like, it's like a mini euthanasia. You know, you know what euthanasia is, right? Um, ending someone's life in order to relieve them from their pain, right? The church condemns that. The church condemns relieving people's pain by taking away their life, right? Uh, abusing a substance that, that, that deadens you for a period of time is like a mini euthanasia. It's like turning off life for a minute. So that you can forget about it, right? That's the opposite of the Christian attitude, which is I want to embrace my reality as it is. 
and as a sinner who accepts fully uh, what I am and what I deserve, I want to embrace sacrifice. Now, there are other better reasons for embracing sacrifice. And one is that sacrifice strengthens us and trains us for, for greater, greater sufferings in the future. It's kind of like training for uh, a football game or something, right? When you're a football player, you know that you're going to come up against other teams, and you have no idea how strong the other guy on the other team is going to be, right? Maybe you have an idea, but he might be a lot stronger than you, right? So you train. You lift weights. You go to practice. You push those big things around the field, right? And, uh, and, and all of that is, is so that you can get stronger, so that when the day comes when you're in the game and you face someone who's stronger, you're prepared for it, right? So the Christian realizes that someday greater sacrifices might be demanded of me. And a Christian who loves Christ and realizes that you know, someday I could even be asked to, to make a great sacrifice for the sake of my faith, even the sacrifice of my life, knows that he has to train himself for that. So embracing small sacrifices throughout the day is like, is like training for a sport. It's preparing yourself spiritually to be able to make that decision to sacrifice for Christ when, when a greater sacrifice is demanded of me. So the, the third one is kind of connected to that, which is, which is that a sinner who recognizes that he, he has temptations in life knows that he could fall again into sin. Someone who's converted, who's come back to Christ, who's rejected sin in his life, which is kind of the way every Christian should be, um, knows that there is the possibility of falling again. So sacrifice and training through sacrifice is a way of preparing yourself to face temptation and preparing yourself not to fall again, right? Which is why those saints, you know, the holy people I mentioned before who enter monasteries, right? That's why they, they, they make that decision because they know it's possible for me to fall again and that would be the worst thing that could ever happen to me, to fall away from Christ. So I'm going to train myself, I'm going to prepare myself by embracing sacrifice in order to in order to stay strong, in order to resist temptation. The fourth and last reason that I believe a Christian should embrace, uh, embrace sacrifice is, is to be like Christ, to be like Jesus Christ. That's really the Christian's highest ideal. It's all of our ideal, is to be like Jesus Christ. When we look at him on the cross and see a man who has given up his life freely, not constrained by anyone, um, out of love for those whom he loves. Right? Jesus' own words, a, a greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. That high ideal inspires us. It makes us say, I want to be like that. I want to love like that. I want to be free enough to be able to love like Christ loves, to be able to love to, the, to that degree, the degree of being able to sacrifice myself for others. So let's ask him for that grace so that during these last couple weeks of Lent we can, we can embrace a life of, of greater sacrifice and greater discipline to, to be able to grow in love for him, to prepare ourselves for the battle, and to always be faithful to him.